Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Best part about church from home is that I can drink Diet Pepsi and there's no one here except my wife to judge me for it. Today is the last message in our series, Life to the Full. And the title of today's message is Slow, Souls Reviving. And I actually want to have a sign made and put that in the driveway of our farm so that whenever you all come out to visit us, that's the cautionary sign that you see as you pull into our place of rest, that there is slowness happening and that there are souls reviving. I hope that's a takeaway you have so far as we've been processing through this, um, the book by John Eldridge together, Get Your Life Back. And I hope that as you have practiced the one minute pause, I hope that you have surrendered the things that are stressing you out to Jesus, that you have begun to find the freedom that I know is there uh, in everything that Jesus has done for us. Um, As we've been talking about this idea for the past few weeks, I want, I want to know that your screen time is down. I want to know that you're making time with your family, that you're making time for those things that are more important. I understand that you might not be there yet, but I want to encourage you this morning. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep pressing in. Keep trying. If you can habituate yourself to yielding to the Lord, his presence will come and find you, and you're going to experience the miracle that you need in your life. Um, So I hope that this new normal, that our new normal, has nothing to do with COVID. But that the new normal that you and I are walking through in Generations Church has everything to do with relationship. I hope that you see the benefit of rest and recovery, and I hope ultimately that you are learning to slow down in the moments where slow is actually what's best. I'm worried that as things begin to open up in the near future, we hope that uh, people are going to rush back to the things that they were always busy with. And that wasn't healthy and it won't be healthy in the future. And so today, as we talk through this last, uh, this last topic of our series, uh, I hope that you are going to be blessed by it. Would you let me pray for you right now? Father, I thank you for every person that's tuned in today. I thank you for uh, the families. I thank you for the businesses that are represented, Lord. And we, God, we want to just say today, we trust you no matter what. And Lord, not only do we trust you to provide for us, but we trust you to provide for our rest, for our sanctification, for our rejuvenation, all of these things. And Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would speak to our hearts as we hear from your word. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. One, I'm possibly addicted to diet Pepsi, and I know it's bad for me. Just leave me alone. I'm just going to go see Jesus one day. Um, but I, th- the real confession I want to make in this message is also that I'm wearing pants, because I know that you are wondering, because we're all wondering at all times when it comes to these kinds of messages. Uh, but my real confession, okay, I'll just get to it. It's finally this. I am actually a bit of a speed junkie. Now, some of you aren't surprised by that. What that means is I actually like to go fast. And I can give you a theological dissertation on how I'm justified for potentially or possibly going faster than what the speed limit says from time to time. Uh, But anyways, here's the thing. The thought of riding in a fighter jet probably is one of the the most thrilling things I can think of getting to do in my life. And maybe, God willing, one day I will get to do that. Uh, In the meantime, I have to settle for things like roller coasters. 
And I love roller coasters, the big, tall, fast ones. Now, I don't like the going up high part, but when you come down that first big drop after that enormous climb on something at like Six Flags, like the Viper, one of the best rides I can remember being on. I just love that acceleration. I love the speed. I love how it feels like you're on the edge of control. It's a wonderful experience for me. Um, I also like sitting on a sled, which would be a machine with two skis and a track, a snowmobile. I love that when there's 160 horsepower under the hood of that machine and you're just sitting there and you squeeze the throttle right to the handlebar and in just a few seconds you go from a standstill to as fast as that machine can go. Those kinds of things are exhilarating to me. I love the thrill of speed. I love the excitement of acceleration. And these things exhilarate my being. I mean, they give me the shakes, they give me a, a flushed sense of excitement. But they're all pretty expensive and short-lived, especially that hope to ride in the fighter jet one day dream. So maybe the one I'm most familiar with that I can draw on the most is the sport of downhill skiing. I love the mountains. Just being there causes my heart to pause and drink in the beauty of God's creation. I love sliding down those great big hills in almost silent reality. At a speed that is near the edge of my control or my abilities, that rush is life-giving to me. Arriving at the bottom with my legs burning, my feet aching from over-tightened boots, I come to that place, the part that's no fun on any ski hill, the most necessary evil that exists in downhill skiing, the lineup for the chairlift. Now this is the anticlimactic part of downhill skiing. After rushing down the hill, now here I am standing in a lineup. Often these days with my children in tow, who now can ski fairly well, but at one time couldn't. And so it was a mess of cross ski tips and poles and falling over and people running over the tails of my skis, inch by inch. A total contrast to how I came down the mountain to this place we call the chairlift. But inevitably, inch by inch, as time passes, we get to that chairlift. And the chair comes around what they call the bowl wheel, and you sit down and it swoops you up and begins to glide you back up the mountain. At some point on every single ski trip, as far back as I can remember, on one of those rides, it will happen to me. I will consider how long would it take me to walk back up this hill? And at that moment, I'm pretty glad that I'm riding on a chair rather than putting skis in a backpack and hiking all the way back up a mountain. On that ride, though, there's something amazing that has happened every time. The quiet hum of the lift almost disappears. And as that ascent continues higher and higher, in many cases, a little higher than I'm comfortable with, I have this awakening to the reality that I'm all of a sudden in. As I look around, I can see the mountains in every direction, a panoramic view of God's creation. Trees and snow and stone etched into the bluest sky you'll ever see. The breath fills my lungs and I'm amazed. And I mean, I am amazed at the beauty and wonder of God's creation. Suddenly, I'm not only grateful for the ride to the top, but I'm actually very grateful for this pause 
that has now happened in between runs. I can see the mountains from a dramatically different perspective than when I'm skiing down the hill. And I think as far back as I can remember, riding up a lift, at some point on every single trip, the words to the old hymn come back through my mind. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made. I love skiing in the mountains. And as much as I love going down, I've learned to love the pause of the slow ride back up. If you'd like, you can turn with me in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 23 to 25 together. This is what it says. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, can you imagine this pace that we just read about? Jesus was sensitive enough to notice the woman with the issue of blood touch in faith just the hem of his garment to receive a healing. And I wonder how much more did he notice the reality, the drain of ministry at such a high pace. Crowds are draining to the human soul. Kids and parents are tired after a birthday party, not only because of the higher levels of activity, but because being with people requires energy from us. People are wired by design for action. You and I are created by God with our eyes in the front of our face, not on the side. Your nose, your ears, even your mouth, all of your senses are pointed in a forward direction. Horses, cattle, and other creatures can turn their ears. Their eyes are mounted in the side of their head as if to pay more attention to what's going on around them rather than what's in front of them. Now, some people would say this is in terms of evolution, a predatory instinct related kind of thing. That's why we are the way we are. But I think we were designed by God to see what's ahead. And it's pretty simple to me. Now, humans, because of this, are easily distracted by many things. All someone has to do is put something new, flashy, funny in front of us, and our whole attention is immediately diverted to that thing. So what was the secret? What was the thing that Jesus did that was different from everyone else around him? Well, we know that he would take time to go away to solitary places and pray. We, we know that he would disappear from time to time to get alone. We know that he went for at least 40 days into the wilderness to be alone and away from everyone else. But I think that Jesus had a hold of something that maybe it takes a lifetime for us to learn. Jesus took time. You see, Jesus saw a need every single place he went. In Luke 19.41, the Bible says that he wept over Jerusalem when he saw it. He saw to the needs of the many, and when he looked at the crowd, the Bible says in Matthew 9.36, that he was moved with compassion. 
No wonder he needed to get away to those lonely places. If everything Jesus did, if every place he saw moved him to tears, if it moved him with deep compassion, no wonder he needed time to recharge, to rejuvenate, to be revived. And so we often don't pay attention to the in-betweens. But this morning, I want you to pay attention to the in-between. Because what happened between all of the things that Jesus did that were miraculous, wonderful, amazing, even sensational, there was this thing called time that was passing. We are captivated by action. We always have been. And the Bible is even written to captivate our attention through action. It's why we like watching sports or maybe you're into dance or videos, movies. Our eyes and our senses are made for that. Once again, we are made, we're designed to see what's in front of us. And when we read the Bible, we see that action. We see David and Goliath. We see epic battles. We see amazing miracles. I mean, who really wants to spend a lot of their time studying the genealogies recorded in Matthew 1 or or Luke 3 or Genesis 5? I mean, scholars and theologians spend hours and hours, maybe even weeks, months, or years studying those genealogies. But for you and I, it's really kind of like, yawn. It's not where we want to spend our time. But we miss the component that has existed since the moment God made it. It governs our moments and it governs our lives. No one can escape it. It is time. We hate time. We misuse it. We disregard it. We abuse it. But we also worship time and we love it. In different moments and opportunities uh, throughout our life. But time is perhaps the secret ingredient to success, even though its reality presents us with so much difficulty. Sometimes I've begun to think that that time is simply God's strategy to force you and I to learn and rest. In fact, the more I think about it, the more sense that makes to me. There are several places in scripture where you'll read words like, in the fullness of time. God brought forth the Son. You'll read in the fullness of time. And I want you to understand this. Whenever this happens, you should know that God is about to do something pretty amazing. But whatever God is doing, the passage and accumulation of time matters a great deal to that story when we look back on it. But we can talk about this more in the future, in a different series, in a different message perhaps. But for today, please know this. Time is not actually your enemy if it is your classroom. Time is not your adversary if it is a place of rest. And that's the key. Even for Jesus, who could have undoubtedly simply appeared and disappeared at will. You know, he could have just showed up in the boat with the disciples in the storm on the lake. But he didn't. For some reason that we're probably not going to understand this side of heaven, Jesus chose to walk across the water on the lake in the middle of the night. Now, I don't know if it's worth your thought, but it's certainly worth mine. Why on earth did Jesus do it that way? Why did Jesus take the time to go for a walk on the water across the lake when he could have just appeared in the boat? A side note for you. I think often we're trying to worship a God that we expect is just going to show up in the middle of whatever we're doing like that. 
just appear and disappear. When, when Jesus walked on this earth, what he revealed to us was that in the fullness of time, he appears and makes everything the way it needs to be. Just apply that to whatever it is you're facing today and see if the Holy Spirit can bring you to a new place of peace with it. Jesus actually walked everywhere he went. Nowhere in the Bible do we see Jesus just vanishing and reappearing, with the exception of walking into a room of disciples after he'd been crucified and raised himself back from the dead. But other than that, I mean, Jesus walked everywhere he went. I suppose Mary carried him while he was a baby and a toddler. Oh, and there was the time he rode into Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry, on the back of a donkey colt. But other than that, Jesus walked. And that means that Jesus did life at the speed of about three and a half miles an hour. Or for those of you who are incapable of good math, 5.6 kilometers per hour. At the same time, between all the amazing stories that happened, all of the wonderful, miraculous things that Jesus did, all of the moments that we see recorded in scripture, sensational and normal alike, the passage of time is happening because Jesus needs to walk from place to place. Well, it's not just that Jesus had to walk from place to place. There were people who were walking with him. And although scripture can't record all of the conversations he had, I wonder if you would pause today and consider the conversations that Jesus might have had with his disciples and those who walked with him everywhere he went for three years at three and a half miles an hour. You want to know what happened in those times? Teaching happened in those times. Learning happened in those times. In fact, rest and relationship happened in those times. Learning and relationships were the result of Jesus needing to walk at three and a half miles an hour. If you can stop living only in the exciting and active moments, the intense minutes and opportunities that you are programmed to be addicted to in this world, and you can start living in between those things, you will actually just, I want to say, automatically become more like Jesus. What I, what I do know for sure is this, is you will begin to rest and recover and regenerate and be revived because you're doing life, your soul is moving through life at the speed of walking. I want to leave you with this. The book of Matthew chapter 26, 11 says, For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus speaking. He's in a room with his disciples and a woman walks in to that room. And she has bought a very expensive jar of perfume. And she pours it out over Jesus. And the disciples, the Bible uses the word indignant in the NASB. The Bible says the disciples were indignant and said that money could have been given to the poor. Well, Jesus, I'm curious what his tone would have been in response. But he points out what she's done is right. And she's actually anointing me for my burial. Jesus was predicting his own death. But he said these words, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. You see, in this life, there's always going to be sensational things in front of you. There's always going to need to be a miracle. You are always going to know someone who needs healing. You're always going to know someone, encounter someone who needs Jesus, who needs a financial breakthrough, who needs faith, who needs hope. You're, you always have the poor with you. 
It's not just a statement of people's wealth. It's a statement of humanity's reality. We are blind, naked, wretched, and poor. And we need gold refined by the fire of God. We need to be refined ourselves by his fire to have true value. And Jesus is simply pointing out to his disciples that it's not that the poor aren't important. It's not that the sensational things we do aren't important. I mean, sensational things are wonderful because they are sensational. But the reality is, is those things will come and those things will go, but they will not feed your spirit. They won't refresh your soul. They won't even bring physical rest to your body. But who can? Well, Jesus can. Because Jesus is the one who loves your soul. Jesus is the one who made your soul. Jesus is the one who formed your inner parts and knows you better than you could even know yourself. And it's time with him in between all the sensational things that matters the most. You know, the day is coming when you might not just be able to walk into the presence of God the way you used to, the way we experience it right now. We can't just simply meet together as often as we'd like. We have to consider different things. We have to consider different options and ways that we can be together. We have to consider different models of worship because we're in a season that requires a different approach. And if your pattern, or if I should say this, if you're married to the pattern of the way we've done things, then how is it that you're going to find the presence of God? See, we we have to learn that Jesus isn't only in the worship service at church. Jesus isn't only in the sensational, the wonderful, the awe-inspiring. But Jesus is waiting for you and I in those moments, those quiet, boring moments that are going through life at the speed of walking, at the speed of rest, at the speed of restoration and rejuvenation. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be an appeal for your eyes, your nose, your ears to look to, to sense. But the moments reclining at a table with Jesus where nothing else is happening, those are the ones you don't want to miss. See, those are the ones that really matter, and that's what Jesus was pointing out to his disciples. Slow down. Stay slow. Don't rush back to the things that you had to rush back with. Some of you who are staying home right now because you're COVID positive or you have to isolate because you might be sick with it or or whatever it might be, take this time and appreciate your opportunity to recline at the table with Jesus. No one else can interrupt you. And no, it's not sensational, but I promise you this, if you'll turn your eyes towards him, it will be wonderful. Let everything else grow dim around you. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Souls need rest. Time is not your adversary. This slow passage of time, these in-between moments, are your opportunity to rest in Jesus and let your soul be revived. Now, if you'll let me pray with you one last time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And today, especially, God, we thank you for those moments that are happening in between the busyness of life. God, I thank you for the moments that are happening in silence, in quietness, that are slipping beneath the 
beneath the observation of people where you truly are waiting for us to build intimate relationships. And Lord, as we enter those moments by the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would become aware and enter into those places with you. Jesus, I'm so thankful today that you don't just appear and disappear, but that in the fullness of time, at the speed of walking, you come into our lives and take us to a place we need to be, at the speed of walking. Now, Lord, I pray that you would make whatever part of today's message ring true in our hearts that needs to for you to accomplish the thing you want to in our life. God, I pray for your healing and your restoration to be over every home, over every health, uh, every health situation, God, that those who are struggling with illness would experience your peace, your power, your strength, your grace, and your healing in their life right now today. We ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to see you back here again next Sunday, once again, today and next week. Our plan is to be online digital, again, to give us a three-week uh, step away from church to do our part, and I even think a little bit more than just our part, to, uh, to prevent COVID from becoming an issue uh, for our church. But well, we look forward to seeing you again very soon. Go out, be as wonderful as you can, mind these quiet moments, find Jesus in them. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.